Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. We cannot wait for the Premier League to start this weekend. David Weiner with you here for another big season of podcasts on Off The Sport and we want to get straight into it because we've got Richard Bayless and Michael Bridges with us today to preview the season and it's a packed packed agenda. We talk about can Liverpool find that one point to level and then go past Manchester City in the title race. Is anyone going to drop out of the top six and is anyone good enough to put the pressure on them to jump over them and who is going down? Who do we want to see this year? Who are we looking forward to and who is under the most pressure? We tackle all those questions in a big preview for you. Let's get straight into it. Well, Michael Bridges, Richard Bayless, welcome back. What kind of off-season was that? It wasn't really one, was it? What off-season? One month to the day the Women's World Cup final finished and we're back ready to go again. We called this on a Monday, Manchester City with uh, the Community Shield win on penalties over Liverpool. And I think if we're to learn anything out of this game with Cole Walker's 93rd minute bicycle kick clearing the ball off the line to deny Mo Salah, we're in for a game of inches again this title race. Absolutely. That clearance was out of control. He did so well. I mean, just the technique, how high that ball had bounced and the anticipation, but uh, obviously going to penalties, probably not ideal really for either side. It's not the ideal preparation. And just how seriously they take the community shield is also always up for debate. But you look at both those sides. As you say, Dave, they'll both be contenders. Whether or not Liverpool can go with Manchester City, though, Bridgie, given they haven't bought anyone, and Manchester City have plugged arguably the only two holes where they had issues last year. We know... There wasn't that much cover for Fernandinho. Left back was potentially a problem position, although Zinchenko came in, did a really good job. So they've got Angelino in for the left back and they've got Rodri for cover in central midfield. They just go and plug any perceived weaknesses. They're going to be very hard to stop. They're going to be very hard to stop. I think the, the hat-trick for me, or going back-to-back and back again, um, is on the on the wall. I can see them doing it. Like you say, he knows what he wants. He has the expenditure or the money to do it and he's allowed to do it. That's infuriated Klopp. And he's actually come out and mm. had a go and said, you know, they just buy whenever they need. Pep's got upset at that. So the rivalry in between the managers is on again, but I just can't see anybody stopping City this season again. I'd love to see Liverpool have a go and, and have a crack, but I just can't see anybody touching them because they are just so good as a club under Pep. And I believe it's all it's just all down to that man. Well, how do you stop them? How do you stop them? What is their weakness going to be this year? I mean, maybe this morning, Zinchenko you spoke about, uh, Benjamin Mendy is uh, not, you know, he, he might not even be there last in the season. You don't know about whether Guardiola rates him. That high. Salah did have a lot of joy against Zinchenko. No Vincent company. So we've got to see Laporte or Stones step up this year. Am I clutching at straws? Is that straws? Is that as weak as, is that the biggest Achilles heel we can find in them? The biggest Achilles healers that Liverpool, I think, can hope for is injuries and suspensions in the City squad or they go all out for the Champions League and they go for the Champions League and Liverpool can, you know, they've done that. It's a massive, massive achievement what they did last year Um, and credit to them. Missing out by one point will have hurt massively and how you recover yourself and go again from that, it's going to be interesting to see but I I think they can only hope that City really go all out for the Champions League and and rest a few in the league. Surely one of City's only potential downfalls or potential weaknesses is the fact that 
They'll just be bored winning. We saw it midway through the season where they had a, a couple of slip-ups. <laughs> you can't get bored winning, Rich. You love winning. Well, you wouldn't have thought so. But like you say, if they're concentrating on the Champions League, how do you stay up for that whole season when you're in four competitions and you have won? That's the motivation factor that Liverpool potentially would see as pressure. It's either the motivating factor to make you go that step further, winning a title you've never won before, or it's the weight of the world on your shoulders. Whereas Manchester City, free and easy, they know, they know they've already won it. So it all, it's, it's a mental game as much as anything else across the season that long. I think it's a great point, a valid point that you're making there. And I think that comes back to the manager. He, he's a winner. He's not he, letting up. He is not letting up one, one bit. Ferguson had that at United when he was there. He would not let up. There is, however, one man that has left this season or this summer, and that is their captain company. He has left that club. Now, he knows the DNA. He was there prior to this. He was wore the armband. He's, he's won it. And I think he has been a catalyst behind it as well, a driving force for the mentality and the winning breed. That could be one moment or one thing that may upset them. Who's going who's gonna to fill that void and be the Vincent company? Because I know he was, a, he, he was great on the park, but when you speak to some of the players that are in and around that squad that I've, I know and staff, he was a great, great guy off the field as well. He galvanised that team and kept them together when things could have gone another way. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer that he was a, a big part and how they, how, how they fill him as a captain, it's going to be um, interesting to see. Well, when you look at the end of the last season, a player like John Stones was tipped for greatness when they signed him and he only played three times in the last 20-odd games or started three times in the last 20-odd games last season because they relied on their skipper. So I am curious about that, but to, to your point, Rich, about the depth and the, uh, the, the, the motivation, I guess if Raheem Sterling somehow drops his form, there's Red Mares. If, if Silva somehow drops his form, there's uh, Ilkay Gundogan, there's Phil Foden, there's Fernandinho who wants to get back in against Rodrigo who made his debut this morning in a competitive game and was he looked he looked some player as well as he built buys into the season. So very interesting times there. To wrap up on City, what is the quick key question? What is the key question for Manchester City for them to take out this title again or not? When we look back, how do we define what is their key question this season? Well, when you look back on Guardiola's time there, it might be, did he win the Champions League? And now they've won a couple of Premier League titles underneath him. How much focus do they put on the Champions League and how much pressure does that create domestically? Because I think you'd go a long way to find someone that doesn't think that City will be favourites to win the Premier League. It's almost up to them to lose it in any, for an extent, but they might turn around and go, look, we have to win the Champions League. Guardiola's time at the club won't be seen as ultimately successful until they do that. So it's just about how much pressure they put on winning in Europe, potentially, obviously what sort of group they get. Last year, they had the easiest Champions League group of all time and they went out in that incredible game <laughs> against Tottenham. They didn't quite get over the line. So I think for me, it comes all down to Europe and what sort of impact that has. Well, we know who the challenges are going to be, and we saw this morning it's uh, it is a likely a race in two. And we'll go. Well, let's flip it. We said, what is Manchester City's weakness? On the flip side, why can Liverpool find that? Let's not even call it one point. Why can they find that eleven millimeters of the John Stones clearest last year to get over the line and finally win that Premier League crown? Because every year they just seem to get closer and closer, and under Klopp. This is what stability brings. And, you know, when, when new managers come in and they get a short period of time and then you go through that whole transition again and the players have got to learn new new environment, they've got to learn the new tactics, the new styles. Klopp has had his time now and they've got closer and closer. And again, he's just going to tweak a few things up, get a little bit more out of the players and give them that incentive to go and say, listen, we were, we were one point behind. We beat them in the Champions League. We won the thing. 
let's go and just get these final little margins. They've got the, I, I believe they have got the upper hand. Klopp has definitely got the upper hand over Pep as a manager and, and tactically the way that he goes at, at them. Liverpool have just got to somehow find a way. A few seasons back, the struggle against lesser teams. They tightened it up last season and I just think that they can go, I'd love to see them go that little bit. And, and have a crack. I still fancy City, I've just said that, but I really feel that Klopp will be working his damnness. The only thing he's upset with is the players that they've brought in, but they are going to get Gomez back from injury. Mm. He's going to be a massive... Uh, he started this morning. Yeah, and I can see him coming in for, you know, coming in alongside Van Dijk uh, in that position, because Alex, Alexander-Arnold and um, Robertson, they've gone from strength to strength as fullbacks, and it, it's going to be another great race. But can they do it? I just don't know. But I'm a big fan of Klopp and we will see. Well, we've seen continuity be a weapon, haven't we, for Tottenham? Because they didn't sign anyone for about 15 years and they made it all the way to the Champions League final. So the fact that Liverpool haven't really signed anybody isn't necessarily an issue in itself. But I just wonder, Bridgie, whether or not they have the depth. Because they've been somewhat fortunate the last couple of years. Haven't had as many injuries. Obviously, Gomez last mm-hmm. year was a big one. But they haven't had too much ill fortune when it comes to that. So I wonder whether their depth has actually been tested and if they run into a bit of trouble this year with injuries and suspensions, do they have the depth? Because as you said before, Dave, City have that in abundance. Frightening. Uh, my fear for them is actually the Copa America Cup of Nations hangover because that front three we know are going to be absolutely superb, but they're just coming in. Sadio Mane, I think he had his calendar year was 13 months. That's more than a year's work. And I know he earns his compensator for it very handsomely, but it is a physical toll. Uh, Mo Salah, Firmino, both actually looked really sharp today. But what are we going to say come February, March or April with that? So that's my biggest concern. It's, it's a good point as well there, because if you think after the World Cup, the you know Belgium players, the English players, a lot of them that went deep into the World Cup came back at the start of this season. They look very, very underdone. Uh, and that, that could be a major part when you think how, how many games they've played. And Klopp's interviews recently, he's actually called out yeah. the FA and said, you've got to start protecting your players in this country because you play more games. We start two weeks earlier than other leagues around the world. And, you, you know, the Christmas period of New Year is in culture. It's in history, but I can see now that the well-being of the players getting worn out and getting underdone can, can play massive, massive um, dividends for, you know, for, for the players in their club. And Klopp's, Klopp's got it. Got it right. So, what happens if one of that front three goes down in in that period? How d- is that going to be? Is that going to be what costs Liverpool a, a title potentially? Well, it could. I mean, last year I would argue that that front three were never really clicking at the same time. Fernandinho, Fernandinho, he plays for City. <laughs> Firmino had a had a period where he didn't quite look up to it. Salah started the season nowhere near as good. He obviously finished it very well, but you know they can get better. I think that front three. But you're right. If one of them goes down, Sturridge is gone now. What sort of role does Shakiri have? Does he become a a potential starter because it seemed like as the season went on last year, Klopp didn't really see him as that. Was even less of an impact player as well. So, you know, how much reliance on the younger guys? It, it is a big question because, like you said before, with City, I mean, you look at the fact that Kevin De Bruyne wasn't around for the majority Scary. of last season. You forget about the fact that he was the best player arguably in the world the year before. Bernardo Silva has a breakout season and he's probably seventh or eighth, eighth choice in that front four like that's and that's not just the situation Sane Sane of course <laughs> I mean they have so many guys in there that you would just think as an afterthought whereas Liverpool that front three yeah they're great players but can they play 60 games in a season at their best I don't think so I really think Klopp would have wanted a number nine Okay. To go to go up there because you've got Firmino. They all they play like with this false nine. I know Firmino has done a good job. You've got an Origi who kind of you know he's coming on mm. and being a big impact player last season. 
um, at, at key points when he, when he was needed. But I really think that he would have loved it if he could just have gone and got a number nine that he felt could get them 20 goals uh, and go out and spend that. Because when you've got people like Marnie, Salah and Firmino dropping in then behind... That becomes a, a very, very tasty. We talk about the front three, but that does worry me massively with if they get an injury. I wonder whether we'll see someone like a Harry Wilson stay there and maybe play. He was really good at Derby last year. We'll talk about Chelsea in a bit. Actually, Dave, I'm surprised we haven't spoken about them so far, <laughs> given your support. Professional. For them. But over there, they've got a situation where they have to use the kids, and it could work out for them. And Liverpool might be forced into a mm. similar situation. If, like Klopp says, they can't go out and spend because they did last year and the year before, maybe he'll be forced into blooding some of these young guys. Ryan Kent's been linked away, but he's a good young winger as well with Wilson. You know, maybe we see yeah. a breakout season for a few of them. Ryan Brewster is the one that they have high reps for as well. And the other one who's a bit of a smoke in the back before we look at other the other clubs, Chelsea you mentioned, we will make sure we talk about them. But the big question for Liverpool, and I think a smoke in the back could be Alex Oclay-Chamberlain. You talk about someone that can play as a as a winger if needed. He would love to play in that midfield 3-2. He's like a new signing. You talk about no new signings, but he was injured for all of last season and was doing so well before uh, that injury curtailed his World Cup dreams. We talk about the front three now. Last year, we were talking about the midfield. But Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is that little joker in the pack that might spice things up for them. He is. I think he's a lovely player. I really enjoy watching him on the ball, his movement. He's got pace. And when he when he first came, he had a little bit of a tough start. And then you saw the best from before the injury came. And like you said, that is almost like getting a new signing back. Gomez as well. So there are, there are some pluses for Liverpool in that sense. And I think they've got a very nice situation, that midfield. Kaita, Henderson... You've got your, your Milner can play anywhere, Shakiri, and like you say, Oxley Chim, and the midfield does not worry me mm. for Liverpool one okay. bit. Not yeah. one bit. It's the front three. If one of them should get injured, there's somebody who doesn't fit, um, fill that void. Yeah. One of the criticisms last year, though, was that there was no one at the point of that midfield to you know, play the incisive pass or, or run at defenders even. Yeah. Just be that creative player that can play off the cuff. They were almost too, you know, when you had... Uh, Henderson, Milner, Vinaldum. Vinaldum pops up with a goal yep. every now and then, but they're almost same-same. They don't have anyone that can unlock the gap between midfield and, and offence. That's why I'm, I was talking about maybe that Firmino dropping in to be that little key, the key player. You know, when they had Coutinho, he was driving at the heart of the defences. He could unlock doors. Firmino can do that, and he can play with his back to goal, but he's not that number, the nine, the striker that you all want. And I really feel that Klopp... Um, they'll have definitely been asking questions whether he could spend some money to do that because that that I think if they could have got that number nine or potentially they still can, you know, or January they they that would have been that extra point I felt that could um, get them over the line this year. And so the rumor that I thought was really interesting that came out that died pretty quickly was Front Ribery when he became available because you almost want to sign a player that's not going to want or contend to be in that front three because they know that that's the front three. He's at the end of his career. It would have been a bonus season. But then when you bring him on, you don't lose any difference. So Firmino as well, you talk about that number nine, but he's so key to their pressing and their energy. So you want that kind of mobile player that can do that? Well, Ribery would have been very dangerous in Liverpool because he loves a drink. (laughs) You always see him with the big big glasses of beer over in Germany going to Liverpool. He would have loved it, to be fair, off the field. But... We'll wait and see. All right, so what defines their season, guys? What's the key question? We've torn the title race apart. Bridgie's hinted at City. Rich, what defines this season for Liverpool? 
Uh, injuries, I think. Yeah, how long can they do it for? I, I don't think they've got the depth, uh, as we said before, that City have. They need to start well and, and believe that they can go as far as they went last season because I think it would be really hard. I think you said it, Bridgie. It would be hard for them mentally to know they put everything into it. They lost one game by millimetres and they came up one point short. You know, almost 100 points and you don't win the league. Mentally, what does that do to already a group of players that are very tired? So they need to stay fit and they need to start well. What was the tip? Well, they'll start well. They'll beat Norwich by eight, <laughs> um, but I, I don't. I don't think they'll. I don't think they can win. Win it. I mean, they can win it. I don't think they will, and I think they'll. They'll fall back. I have loaded my fantasy league team with Liverpool. Play. Well, I've, obviously I can't, but I've gone for three because that first game against Norwich, goal fest. I'm riding with the fantasy, and just for the interest of it, I'm gonna I'm gonna tip Liverpool just to ride that emotion going through. This. They've conquered Europe. That was a miracle. What next? Don't get me wrong. I would love Liverpool to win it. I'm a massive fan of theirs, but I just can't see them. I would. Uh. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to see them win it as well. <laughs> even though it's, I do enjoy the fact that we can say, Bridgie, that Leeds United have won the top flight title more recently than Liverpool. <laughs> but I think they've earned it over the last couple of years. Klopp is, he's so good. I mean, he's such a good manager. He's box office uh, away from the pitch as well. They deserve it, and I hope that they can take it to City. I'm just not so sure they can. And the mm. fans deserve it. All right, gents. Well, let's talk about the next pack after those two. We're going to assume that those two are the contenders for the season. First question is, does anyone else contend? Is there a joker in the pack? And then what does the rest of the pack look like, Bridgie? They're all contenders. Uh, you know, we've got the the Arsenals, your Chelsea, um, Spurs are up there. I don't think anybody can come close to them, especially Man United. I still think they're in a, in a, a massive transition under Solskjaer. They've still got a lot of animosity. Pogba, you, you know, who knows what's going on inside his head. Lukaku doesn't want to be there. And the, the sad thing for me is thinking that Manchester United, when a player like Dybala, who was, you know, recently talked about to go in there and, and having talks with United, and when you're not wanted by Juve as a swap deal, for a player to turn down Manchester United, that shows that... It's the- Champions League football, though, isn't it? I mean, it, that's the problem with United having a couple of bad seasons. It's mm-hmm. a snowball effect. They can't offer big players that football. Well, the, the, the rumour is as well that he didn't get the... If they didn't make the Champions League in his contract, then he wouldn't be on that kind of the money that they were demanding. So, again, that was a big thing. But I, I wouldn't think players in the past would turn down... Three, four, five years ago would turn down Manchester United to get a move there. One of the biggest clubs in the world... So that just shows the state of affairs there. And I think the Maguire signing is magnificent, but the price that they've hmm. paid for Harry Maguire, I'll tell you it what. blows your mind. Oh, I wish I'd been born 20 years later. I'll but tell you, you what. <laughs> I would have had an enormous price tag on my head right now. <laughs> but not only does Dabala, if you talk about Dabala being... Now you've just got an enormous <laughs> nose on your head. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> you talk about the Dybala sign being a sign of the times. What about the fact that United came into negotiating with Leicester a month ago with £80 million for Maguire, spent a month negotiating, and ended up paying £80 million? I mean, what kind of negotiating is that? I mean, Manchester United started the window, I think, with a really interesting transfer strategy. The last couple of years, they've gone for big-name players that have done really well elsewhere, hasn't necessarily worked. I mean, Alexis Sanchez is the perfect illustration of that. So, start of the window. They've is he got- still there? He believe it or not, he's still he's still in the hotel. So they got one Basaka in from Crystal Palace, Daniel James from Swansea, young guys that you know are very quick and obviously have big futures in front of them. Daniel James is not the finished article right now. Definitely not. He's a championship player. He's not a Manchester United player right now. He will grow to be. He's so fast, but he's not the finished article. But what it showed was that 
Manchester United are planning for the future and they're doing something different. They realise that they probably can't compete on this day right now against Manchester City. They're planning for two, three, four years down the track. So then to go and basically follow Maguire and as you say, Dave, like protract out a, a negotiation that got them nothing in the end apart from the player for a big fee, it's almost like they've forgotten what they were trying to do, yeah. the mixed messages from the club. And at the same time, they've still got these holes. The one positive... I thought from their tour out here was, and around Asia and everywhere else that they went, they've got some really good young players. I mean, Mason Greenwood's a really good example of someone that, throw him in the first team now, he would probably do a pretty good job. But I don't think they'll do that, Bridgie. I think it's hard to know exactly what Solskjaer wants to do. Does he want to use these young players or does he only want to do it to stamp his authority on the playing group? It's kind of mixed messaging. It, it, it is mixed messaging, but I think after Solskjaer working under Ferguson and seeing a guy that didn't have any doubts about putting players in that he felt were good enough. I think that'll stand him in good stead. You know, as long as he's got that with the board and they're happy to go and do that and give players opportunities like that. However, Solskjaer is the favourite to get sacked this season. I've said, Now, mm-hmm. you're talking about spending on youngsters for the future. Has Solskjaer got time to invest his time in them youngsters when he knows that his head is on the line? I'm hoping that it's not, and it's obviously that's just the betting companies mm. that are doing that, and Solskjaer's got a good relationship with the board, and they're happy to let him do it. Um, but again, I just can't see them coming anywhere close this season. It's a rebuilding structure. Uh, however, they have played some nice football pre-season. Mm. I've enjoyed what I've seen of them, but I just can't see it being sustainable. I think all four of those chasing clubs, Chelsea, Manchester United, Tottenham and Arsenal, have massive <laughs> holes. All of them have some serious deficiencies that make you look at them and go... Okay, they might be planning for the future. They might have some good players. They've all got good managers, but they're not going to be anywhere near Liverpool, let alone Manchester City, I don't think. And Manchester United are a really good example. If Solskjaer goes, what does the next manager inherit? It inherits eight or nine centre-halves that Solskjaer couldn't get off the books. He's also got some young players and some big egos in, in there as well that expect to lead the team and be given double the money of everyone else. So until there's a massive clear-out, I don't think Manchester United can really... You know, steer the ship back towards that success. Well, touch, sorry, I never thought I would say this. I actually feel for Manchester United fans. I, I, I can't believe you did say that. I, I, mate, honestly, it's the the what they have come from and where they're at mm. now. It's just it, it's shocking to see the club and how the decline has happened after Ferguson. I thought there would be maybe one manager with a hangover, two. They still haven't sorted it out. Look, at least with Solskjaer, the thing is you can see he has a very clear purpose. That's why the Dabala signing would have been so classic United in recent years because it was not it was opportunistic it was threw in their lap it was a temptation but it wasn't to any plan it was just like well that's cool we'll get we'll get him he's a good player um he's gone for speed he's gone for purpose we know he's playing a 4-2-3-1 we know he wants to go with direct wingers but the big question is like as Rich said they're young they're raw it's it's a very clear plan what if it doesn't work I remember speaking to Schwartz on a podcast probably April or May last year and it's far as then, he said Solskjaer wouldn't make it till Christmas. Now, having seen preseason, how do we reevaluate that? That's the big question. Will he be, will this work? Oof, that's a, not the million dollar, that is the multi-million yeah. dollar question. Um, I hope he does. However, going into a start of a season, when you've still got a number nine that's spreading, um, spreading social media stuff about the club's sprints, Things mm. that should be kept in house, that's a worrying sign. You've got another dis- disgruntled midfielder that obviously is always going to be with Pogba. You've got Harry Maguire signing, who was just coming in four days before the season, having to get to know the structure and how they want to play. It's all over the shop for me. And going at the start of a season, it's it's still in an absolute chaotic state. So I, I'm going to say, I hope he is there, but I can't see it. 
Ashley Young's the captain too. I, I see that. That's an interesting one. I mean, Ashley Young, you would think if everybody's fit, good player. Still, I don't know that he starts every week though. Just to give you a heads up on the captain, right? So just to upset the Manchester United fans, when you've got a captain and you've got a new manager in Solskjaer and you're on pre-season and you end up getting fined £5,000 for being out and breaking curfews on your pre-season tour over in Perth, for me, that speaks volumes that you've got no respect for the manager, you're disrespecting your players, and that's exactly what Ashley Young did. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So there you go. They, they broke a curfew and um, got got fined by that, so that just shows you the examples that he's setting. It's an interesting one. I, I'd heard along the traps that Ashley Young is the last player remaining at Manchester United who remembers the glory years. Mm. You know, He was there when they won titles, and as a result, he almost knows what the fabric of the club is about. Maybe they can turn a blind eye to that, like you're saying, Bridgie, because of the fact that he represents, like Solskjaer, he represents that period of success that they're so desperately trying to get back to. They're trying to show the fans that, hey, we know what this club's about as well, but you look at the playing group and their antics, it's hard, it's hard do you think, to see Do you think that. Fergie would have stood for that? Fergie would have ripped the captain's armband off him and give it to somebody he, else the following day. He would have kicked a boot at him. Yeah, there you go. Well, the other thing I don't understand, it's a great point you make, Rich, is surely Luke Shaw, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, uh, the right and left back to start the season. Clearly, clearly not. My bigger concern for United, and I think this is why as well, there's such a big narrative at the moment about whether 7 to 10 can jump into one of those 5 or 6 spots, is Paul Pogba's head I'd love to know, and we're going to have some articles this week on sport.optus.com.au talking about what's going on at United, but I'd love to know where his head really is at, given he clearly doesn't want to be there. And Nemanja Matic, every time I see him play, just looks a couple of yards off his best. That 4-2-3-1, you talk about getting the defence right, you talk about getting the speed right, but that balance still there, I think is a massive Achilles heel. Our Optus Sport spies in Perth when they were over there. Ooh, um, Spygate? Spygate, yeah, well, it's... It's fine. You're allowed to do that. Um, you're allowed to stand on a public road. <laughs> uh, it's not going down that path. No, our, our spies in Perth actually said that at training, Paul Pogba was doing things that are unbelievable to even fathom. I mean, he is head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of talent. It's just about whether he wants to turn it on. There were moments against Leeds and and Perth where you looked at him and you just thought, you're you're a freak. Mm. Like you are something totally different. If he can get his head right and they can somehow motivate him to stay there for a season and give it his all if he's capable of giving everything, what a player he is. It's so sad that he hasn't been that for United. Do you not think his body language as well? Sometimes his body language fans see him as not working. He mm. plays the game at his his pace. It's too easy for him. It's too easy. Zidane used to look like a player when he got the ball. Off the ball, you know, he drifted in and out of the game, but when he got the ball, you kind of just went, oh, wow, this guy just, it's poetry in motion. Pogba gets the ball and he loves it. You know, it speaks volumes, the fact that, I don't know if you guys saw the documentary about France's World Cup, where Paul Pogba's leadership was absolutely jaw-dropping, yet right now a guy who might not even be in Manchester United's best 11 is the captain ahead of him. That probably speaks volumes. You compare the culture of Manchester United to, say, Tottenham. Tottenham, who, obviously European finalists, they finally spent some money in the off-season bringing Tangu Ndombele into the club and are the central midfielder for Spurs, but Richard Pochettino still hasn't been able to spend the, 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 the huge amounts of money he wants to be able to reinvest and take this squad to the next level. Can he keep producing miracles, Bridgie? Yes, he can. <laughs> Definitely. Um, you know, he's shown that over last season. 
again, just a worrying point talking about Liverpool's depth and, and squad is, is injuries. You know, Deli Alley going into the season again, injury. Pochettino's come out and said that. So it's going to be a huge, huge, um, a huge season. They got Jack Clark from Leeds, loan him straight back there to keep him get, getting experience because they know he's not going to get a game. Um, Tottenham, I th- being a fan, overachieved last season in the Champions League. No, no doubt about that. I think they went further than anybody could ever imagine. Even as a fan, I was, you know, I'm, I'm still loving it and, and what happened. Overachieved, but um, I still, again, cannot see them Britain at the top two. Not, not a chance. Not when you're only signing one player, and how long he can, he can go. Yeah, having arguments with Daniel Levy, yeah. I don't know because there's a lot of clubs want him. I'm getting yeah, emotional. There is, there are signs <laughs> that the wheels could fall yes. off. I mean, there have been these fraying points for a couple of years between Pochettino and, and Levy. But remember last year when he said, there's no point having a nice new house if you don't have any furniture to put in it. Basically saying, we need to buy players. The window started well, getting Ndombele and then Clark. Clark going back, as you said. So it's only one signing, really. But then when Trippier left, the comments he made about behind the scenes at Tottenham basically insinuating that it all is not rosy yes. there. I don't know exactly who that was about, whether it was Pochettino or Levy or whatever it was, but it, there are a few signs that if they don't back him, maybe in the next week, if they don't go and get another player or two, just to show him that we are behind you, will he definitely see out the season, Bridget? I don't think Trippier would have seen anything going on at board level. So I think it's got to have come from the... that Them comments are coming from the, the aimed at the staff and the players that are there, that there's possibly a bit of friction there. Maybe they're feeling the a bit of anger coming from Pochettino, or maybe they feel that some of the comment, you know, maybe he has taken them as far as he can. Um, he, he almost came out and said that it, it, there was mixed messages mm. from him, Pochettino, a few a few interviews last season where I'm looking at thinking this guy is ready to throw in the towel because he doesn't think that they can replicate or go further than what we have done or they have done last season. If he does take them further, and let's let's say taking further is breaking into the top two again after the, the Leicester the season. Leicester, yeah. So he's taking them to second in Europe. He, 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 can, take, that, he can name his job. He realised that was the season to win it. You're yeah. not going to bring in this top two against Liverpool and City. Let, let's not kid ourselves. And I'm, I'm speaking as a Spurs fan. There's no chance. Okay, so I think we've pretty much touched on what Spurs' big question is. But to wrap up, what is realistic for them this year? When you actually look at their best 11 on paper... It's tremendous. You know, you've got that variety there with, you know, Son who had such a good season. If they can keep Kane fit for the duration of the season, hopefully that can he combination. <laughs> can he score in August? We broke that last yeah. year, I believe. Did he? Yes. I think he did. I think he did. Like I think he did. I think better he did. Check, they better check that. I think he did. But the, the team is actually excellent on paper, and Dombele does give them that boost in, in the centre center of the park. What, what is realistically for them than this year, Bridgie? Well, I would say silverware, but we've just won the Audi Cup in pre-season. So for me, that is like, you know, that, that just gets rid of all the cobwebs off the off the shelves there. So that was a huge achievement for the team. Maybe they built shelves. <laughs> I think I would like to say it's going to be a champion, Champions League finish. Top four again. Um, third or fourth, I do believe. But I would like to see them um, win something. And the FA Cup for me would be a big a big thing. Well, that's going to be a big flip for Pochettino, who's always treated the Cups with derision as well. So he's got a... It's, it's really worth his while to actually have a, a proper look at those as well. So, look, it'd be a surprise if Spurs did drift out of the top four. Um, but then the question is, which London club possibly joins them? Is it Chelsea or is it Arsenal? And such huge questions around those clubs, as you say, Rich. There's, there's just holes to poke in all of them. Let's start with Chelsea because I can choose to start with Chelsea because I'm more interested in them because I'm a Chelsea supporter. This is fascinating times. Really, actually, quite a unique set of circumstances for a club to be in. 
Yeah, so they can't buy anyone. They bought Christian Pulisic last January, which which is helpful now, given that maybe they knew that yeah. the transfer embargo <laughs> was coming. But losing Eden Hazard, I mean, it, it'd be difficult for any team, even if you could turn around and replace him. I yeah. mean, he's irreplaceable. But the fact that they've got this embargo is not helping them. I wonder, though, is this a sign that Abramovich will give a manager time, knowing that they can't go out and buy anyone, can't spend their way out of trouble? Not that Chelsea have done that the last couple of years as much, but... Do they say to this guy, right, you're a club legend, Frank Lampard, just go and play kids. We don't have high expectations of you. Even if the season starts poorly and you're languishing in 7th or 8th in January, we are going to stick with you. That is the big question for me because there will be a difficult period of transition, I think. They've got some amazing young kids. Mm. Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, if they play them, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Chelsea fans could see this fresh new crop of players that will be there for the next decade, you know, develop in front of their eyes. And what could be more satisfying group for a group of supporters? But do we really think that he'll be given that opportunity? Oh, it's tempting with Abramovich, isn't it? Because you just don't know what mood he's in. You, you don't. What I do like about this this move for Frank Lampard, he knows he knows the club. He is the club. The fans are, are going to give him a chance. He's gone and had a crack at Derby County. Jody Morris came from Chelsea, youth team, had great success with the youngsters. They went away to England, some of the lads, and won the World Cup. They know what is down at them lower levels. I don't know how much interest the previous manager had taken in the youth, mm. the youth team. You know, there's a doy coming in. Um, Loftus-Cheek was getting a chance, but he came from somewhere else. I think Jody and Frank, again with the youngster, youth team managers that they have promoted into their coaching staff, they are going to be looking and saying, you know what it is, these kids are good enough, let's give them a chance. And when you can't buy you're going to have to do something like that because the amount of players they had on loan last season I thought was a disgrace. <laughs> buying some That's of the what best, they do. Yeah. Buying Every some year. of the best, best players around the world and loan them out. I just feel that this this little combination with Jordy Morris and Frank Lampard having played with both of them at a younger level for the, for the national team, um, I like I like this blend. I really do. I, I, I'm not sure how you feel about it, Dave. I really like what they're doing because of what they know behind the scenes because Jordy and Frank basically went and raided Chelsea and got a few of their youngsters to Derby. They, they know what, what's coming through, and I feel that I'm hoping they have a great success. Funnily enough, nothing of this should work, because why does just a player that knows the dressing room become a coach who can walk into a Champions League club? But as a fan... I, it's probably the most excited I've actually been since Mourinho came back because it's got that feel of getting the band back together. Peter Cech's there as sporting director. He just brought Claude Makaleli back in. So we've got Claude Makaleli in the stands and N'Golo Kante on the pitch. I mean, it's a formidable combination <laughs> of number sixes. But it, there's two things for Lampard. Is on one hand, it's that, it's that feel-good factor that he comes in no pressure because he can't sign plays. He's inherited the squad. He's got every excuse in the world. On the other hand, a season when Mauricio Sarri just copped it from left, right and centre. He did come third. He did win a trophy and he did make the Champions League. So it is a hard benchmark that if you really look at it pound for pound, he's got a huge, he's got huge shoes to fill walking in. But it, I just think there's a very good feel about that. Then the hard questions get asked. I want to ask you this, Bridgie, about this getting the band back together as a player and the tactics of it. We saw for Solskjaer it lasted for three months and then the crack started to appear. How great is it when someone comes in like this, but then when the questions start to be asked, what happens then? Well, there's no doubt about it. That's when, it, that's when your managerial skills come into question. How do, you, how do you lead a dressing room? It's easy to lead a dressing room when things are good. It's easy to be part of a dressing room. Then, like you say, when things start going bad and so how do you keep that mentality and the belief in the players for them to buy in to something that you are trying to do? I've seen it. I've been at a few clubs where we have had 
bad bad start to the season. And the managers, Mick McCarthy was one of them. Fantastic. Took our minds completely off the game and just did things out the ordinary where you were kind of not thinking about the match days. Too much info, too much overload. And I think Frank with a team. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Him that he's got around him from knowing the different, the different levels down there, yeah, he's, he's not experienced. Don't get us wrong. He, he's a smart footballer. He knows the game, but he's got some very, very knowledgeable staff alongside of him that know the 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 mold of that football club. So I, I think you're in a good position, mate. I've got to be honest. I really I really like what's happened to you. I think he needs to know the club because as a manager, he's still very much untested. Mm. One one season at Derby County. Yeah, there are priors there, so I'm not going to give him a whole heap of credit <laughs> considering uh, Derby knocked out, us out of the. Uh, the playoffs, but he also didn't really convince yeah. with Derby. They didn't progress from the year before. His first year in management, sure, but he did have a good young group of players, and tactically there were questions. I mean, they beat Leeds in that second leg because Leeds beat themselves to an extent. He made a couple of good subs, and clearly he's a person that can get players up because he's just newly out of the game in terms of playing himself. So he needs to know that club. He needs to galvanise it as a former player and someone that knows the insides and outs because as a manager, he probably isn't quite ready for it. That's that's what's so key is you take the romance aside, which is when I say it really shouldn't work. It's actually the almost the biggest gamble Bremovich has taken in his tenure there. He's literally put a rookie in charge of a Champions League club. So in terms of neutrals and watching it as storylines, it's actually fascinating because it could go either way. It really could go the way, and then it's really going to test the Bramwich because what happens next? I should elaborate on the on the playoffs point. It's not just the Leeds game in the playoff final against Villa. Derby looked hapless with some very good players, mm. so it, it's how he deals with that pressure and allows his players to deal with pressure as well because there will be some young guys that get an opportunity. So there are some. Bi- sorry, sorry. Bridget. I mean, there's no doubt about Sorry Ball was magnificent because the nobody come close to Manchester City really in the possession stats. Sorry had got that bang on. They they they. When I look at stats from each team each season, whether it's running stats, passing stats, um, what areas of the field have you got into in the front third, how many how many crosses, Chelsea's possession just went through the roof. But the first thing that Frank Lampard had said was about Canty in that midfield. They just felt that they'd lack somebody that mm. was breaking down the defences. And could we see that man? You know, left with the no, I, th- I think we will. Yeah, you read into what Jorginho has said, which yeah. is last year we played with three, now we play with two. So it's probably going to be the two of them this year with Carlo and Kante in a more traditional role. No, you must be excited about that because I've really missed watching him. Well, I think, you know, it is that old, that square peg round hole thing. You take the best player in his position and play him out of position. But there's a few interesting questions, you know, no out-and-out striker with a bag full of goals. How do you replace Hazard's in, uh, involvement? You know, Pulisic, William, Pedro, hudson Adoy, they all have to step up. Um, I'm looking forward to see if Mason Mount gets a go. Uh, he's sort of dueling with Ross Barkley. That's what it looks like as that third midfielder, that number 10 sort of thing. Um, so plenty of questions around Chelsea. It'll be very interesting to see how they fare. I'm going to sneak them into the top four because I do still think they've got the quality, so but you I. never know. I'm putting them in there as well, Dave. No. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> is it Arsenal that's going to take over them? That, that's the next obvious question. Well, this is the hardest thing. It's actually difficult to know out of those four who is uh, you know most 
likely to get into that top four. I'm only being cheeky and saying Chelsea won't. They very well could. Arsenal, I think, have got some massive, massive holes still. Their defence has been an issue for a little while, and the whole Laurent Koscielny scenario over the past couple of weeks will not help for their captain. They don't have the cover, let no. alone probably the cattle to begin no. with in the back four. But for me, the big question as well is is central midfield. It always has been for Arsenal. You know, Gwenduzi at times, you know, he's a hipster's football dream, isn't he? He comes on and got the hair for it, like, you know, very technical, but can he put in a whole season? Is he consistent enough? I thought Torreira was very good, but Xhaka comes in and out of games. Do they have someone that can come in and just dominate, you know, Go back to Fabregas, potentially, but you've got to go back to maybe Vieira. That's what they would love, and that's what fans want to see in terms of a midfielder that can dominate at uh, the Emirates because I don't think they have it. I mean, they've got Pepe in, but he's more of a winger. I'm, I'm not sure he'll he'll be that central figure that they probably need. I mean, it's a formidable front three. What do you think? If it's going to go with Aubameyang, Lacazette and Pepe, that, that's brilliant. But that money for me, uh, Rich, not often I agree with you. <laughs> I would have gone for a central midfielder, a holder that I believe in that is going to do a job. <laughs> Or somebody that that can do be that open the door the midfielder. Mkhitaryan is still there. Still a big fan of him. Özil, I think the. <laughs> I, I don't but know that's what the, the Arsenal fans think. Um, I used to love watching this guy the last two seasons. He's really irritated the hell out of me. But that's the thing, Bridgie, because they've gone to sign Pepe, this winger, and you'd think. I mean, surely Emery wants to have Lacazette and Aubameyang both in his side this yeah. year. I mean, how could you not? Well, Wenger didn't like playing them together, and as soon as this guy did, Unai Emery, look what you get goals. So if you've got all three of them in the team, the problem is everything else, back, when you go back from there, almost seems unbalanced. What do you do with Ozil? What do you do with Mkhitaryan? Have they got that balance in the middle of the park? And then they still haven't reinforced at the back. So they, their games could be 7-5 this year. Well, every Arsenal fan I speak to when you mention Xhaka, it, the, I wish I just had a, a camera to take a picture of everybody's face because it's just like warped of, ugh. Mm. No, nobody is a big fan because they know that guy is so detrimental. He's not a defensive midfielder that can break up attacks. So that, that is a key area that they haven't sorted out. So defensively, I think it's going to hurt Arsenal, and that's why I think Tottenham and Chelsea will be the three and four. There's still rumours that uh, Juventus's Daniel Rugani might join them on a loan. That would be absolutely vital, and that could change this conversation if if that does happen. Sammy Kadira as well is yep. another name that won't go away. Although apparently he prefers to go to Wolves, which probably says much as much about the Manchester United chain uh, gravitas as it does he, about that. I think he just wants to practice his Portuguese. <laughs> um, but of course, Arsenal have signed midfielder on loan, Danny Ceballos from uh, Real Madrid. So that's another change for them as well. But the balance of them, that's what I just find most intriguing. And even they'll go and run, they'll score, score a truckload of goals. Can we see them get in the top four? That is the question. No. No, I can. I, I can probably make a case for all four of those teams we talk about. There's no reason why if they play the best football and Lacazette and Aubameyang stay fit that they can't do it. I think they're, they're a chance. Well, then let's talk about that next rung down because I think you can throw a blanket over those four teams. They've all got as many questions unanswered as they do uh, positives going for them. But there's a real feel this season that even though the gap between United and 7th last year in Wolves was quite big, that that might be surmountable. Maybe that's people just looking for a nice storyline, looking for interest. But with Wolverhampton, Leicester, Everton and West Ham, can we have one of these teams break up that top six that top six stranglehold, which ironically enough, Rich, Leicester probably created that top six stranglehold because they all woke up from their slumber when they won the league. Perhaps they might be able to do it again. Yeah, Leicester are the team for me. I mean, I really like uh, Moise Keane signing for Everton. Now, that's Crazy. that's going to create a situation where no one's really sure how to say Keane. I mean, is it Keane? <laughs> is it Kian? I've heard a few different things. What will you say, Bridgie? Uh, don't ask. 
I did. <laughs> Kino. Kino. Hello, mate. Yeah, like there are good signs from Everton as well. You know, they're, they've got Gomez back. Mm. You know, there's a bit of continuity there, which they haven't had the last couple of years. There's always been the expectation. They've just announced they're getting a new stadium as well. That might give them a bit of a boost, but also <laughs> make them realise they need to uh, <laughs> not spend so much money on players. So Everton are a, a bit of a smoky to, to yeah, finish seventh, <laughs> which you would expect for Everton. But Leicester, as you say... Even though they've sold Maguire, I think they would be laughing at how much money they've got for him. £80 million for a player who, yeah, is a great leader for them, but they'll go out. I think they'll get Lewis Dunk now from Mm. Brighton. They can potentially buy a few others. Them getting Tielemans in was huge as well for their midfield that still has James Madison in there, and he's such a good player. Brendan Rodgers will be able to hopefully put his stamp on the team in a preseason, which he didn't do last year, of course, coming from Celtic mid-season. And he'll get a chance to prove just how good he is as a manager with a club that will have some expectations again. Well, I actually think once he came in, I think the the maths, and I can't remember off the top of my head, was top four worthy. It certainly was for attack and chances created. I think they were in the top four for chances created in a game once he came in. He got the best out of Vardy again. who got another lease of life. And all of a sudden, he's got players in there. I mean, he... Brendan Rodgers' teams play nice football. And Tielemans, Madison, um, they're fit for purpose. Well, they went away under Ranieri. They went away from that quick counter-attack, that, you know, hurting teams in behind because they had pace up front. Then you go, they changed the whole f- philosophy under, under Ranieri and try to be this possession-based team and play up from the back. Vardy was up there just thinking, can you just put one in behind? Because I ain't going to come short and get the ball to feet. And I don't want to play football. I score goals at the other end of the field. And Rodgers has recognised that. He's now got them playing a nice brand of both types. He wants to get the ball in the final third quickly. They will have the patient build up if they need to. And I, I do like them. Um, how they replace Maguire? Like you say, is, is Dunk the man? Um, he's, he's a big unit. Has he got the ability in his feet? We're like, like Maguire, no chance. He's nowhere near him. But he, he's an aerial presence. I think they will have a good season. But I am going to say Everton, because of what they've done um, this off-season and the stability that I feel that they've got there, I, I think they're going to have a very, very, very good season. I will say they will finish above Leicester and they will be my pick to possibly break into the top six. But if not, it'll be the seventh. I will make a prediction. I reckon someone will drop out of that top six. I think out of those four teams we mentioned, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal and Tottenham, there's uncertainty amongst all four of those ranks. You would think one of them is going... Come on, who? Come on, come on. We'll take this out. on the spot. How about Chelsea, Dave? (laughs) (laughs) End it now. Well, I mean, it could be any one of them, realistically. United. United, maybe. I I think uh, it's a good opportunity, put it this way, Mm. for a Leicester or an Everton. West Ham, I'm not so sure. Wolves, it'll come down to what happens in Europe because we saw Burnley this time last year. They do have the ability to strengthen. They haven't gone out and poached a heap of players, but they have strengthened Wolves. It just depends on how the Europa League journey goes for them as to whether they can continue their upward trajectory. But you think some team will hopefully run that top six club. By the way, with Leicester, we forgot to mention Jose Perez. Of course, 53 million bucks from Newcastle. Another technical, exciting player who might be able to combine with Vardy. Um, Wolves, interestingly enough, their record against the top six last year was outstanding. And they had the ability to be really tactically strong in big games, but just couldn't roll that out over the course of a season. I wonder... That's not a lot to change to pick up some more points. Well, if they didn't get so many points against the big teams, they would have been struggling yeah. in the bottom half. So they don't want the ball. Basically, they're quite happy to have yeah. the, say the big teams like, you can have it, we're just going to hit you on the counter. That'll be a big test of Nuno, won't it, Bridgie, to be able to now go into games where they are the big fish more often than not in the Premier League, Wolves, particularly at home. How do they adjust to that? 
it's going to be very tough because what he did very well last season, he kept the, he didn't chop and change. They were very, they were the least amount of teams that made the least amount of changes throughout the season. In the Premier League, that's fantastic because you get the organisation, the players understand their roles. You're not having to chop and change through injuries and suspensions. It is, however, that European spot that you have said, you are going to now have to really, really manage your players during a week. It's not going to be a week to week now where they've got a recovery. That Thursday game comes into hand and that is going to play a massive part in how he uses his rotation system. Are they still just going to keep the same 11-4 for the Premier League like he's really tried to do last season? Or are they going to make a play and try and go deep into Europe? For me, it's all about the Premier League and I, I can't see them replicating what they did last season because of the European tournament. 17 outfield players Wolves have. You can't go into a season <laughs> in the Premier League alone with that, let alone potentially playing Europa. Well, he managed it last season. He managed that team incredibly with the... He must have a hell of a conditioning team behind him to be able to get the players to 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 get them up for it. But when that European competition comes in, having played in it and known how it's all about the recovery, to get yourselves ready back-to-back in your first year, it's going to be very, very tough. Well, he's only, as, as Rich mentioned, hasn't made many signings. Leandro Dondonka and Raul Jimenez's loans are permanent. Um, and, but Patrick Cotrone from Milan, actually, that's a, that's, an, that's a curious one because they've got a bit more of an offensive focal point too. So that should be quite interesting. West Ham signings. Um, they've only, they've gone against what they've done in recent season where it's been a bit, we'll sign him, we'll sign him, we'll sign him. They've gone for Villarreal defender Pablo Fornals and striker Sebastian Haller. So just two signings for Manuel Pellegrini. So there's a bit of hope that they won't be a bit of a, as unknown quantity as they have been in, in recent seasons. And got a bit of money in as well. Obviously with um, an out of itch leaving, that, that, that has gone because that played a major, I think that impacted the, the squad. There was a, a bit of a shadow on that. He wanted out. It's, it's not good when you've got a player that is kicking up a stink like that. So I, I think that he can do a very good job with West Ham this season um, because this, they finished the season very well. I love the guy Anderson that they brought in. Mm-hmm. Um, good season last year. They haven't got the, you know, um, Gany Carroll's gone. Uh, so I haven't got that injury worry there. That'll uh, have given them a lot more money in, in the budget as well. I, I, I like, I'm, I'm going to say this is, they're going to have a very good season. Um, could potentially win something on the cup side of it, whether okay. it's League Cup or FA Cup. I think they're a bit light going mm. forward. Sebastian Haller, good player. Saw him at Chelsea for Frankfurt. Who's left at Frankfurt, by the way? Do they have any oh. strikers left? Or we'll talk about maybe the Bundesliga on, on another play. <laughs> uh, which yeah, is to be expected, I guess, for a club like that doing so well. But Haller doesn't necessarily have all that much competition going forward because they've lost not only Anatovic, Carroll, but also Lucas Perez as well. Mm. So if they don't get goals, it doesn't quite work. They could find themselves in a bit of strife. Yeah, from that group, I probably found to list the most. I've still, I know Marco Silva got a really good end to the season of Everton. Uh, still. Not sure about him over a 38-game season, so I'd love to see that go well because I'm just curious to see him as a manager pull that off because I think he talks a good game. Interested to see if he can pull it off a 38-game season. But what about the when you talk about the, the next tier, who falls into the relegation category and who's that mid-table category? Um, we're probably th- those four teams have been clumped as the seven to ten, so to speak. But you know, what about a, a Bournemouth, a Crystal Palace? What what's the next rung look like? I'm going to clear one thing up now, Dave. I'm going to go out and say Southampton obviously finished 16th last season. Hassan Huttle came in and made an incredible transition to this football club. And the the style of play overnight, how he managed to get them, the group of players believing, the fans believing again, they are not going to be anywhere near this relegation battle this season. He is a fantastic manager and I just love the way he is come in 
and Southampton give him the give him the back and give this German guy because he had such good pedigree. So they're going to be nowhere near it this season. Mm, that's a it's a big call. He did play some good football when he came in there, but I'm not sure the squad is is particularly strong when you look across the board. That's the only thing with them. How, what can he make up for yeah. in their deficiencies? The three teams that will be looking desperately for a bit of consistency are Watford, Bournemouth, and Burnley. I mean, all three of them on their day can beat anybody. I think Watford, Javi Grazia is uh, under. Underrated, I think, what he's done at uh, the and they had a flying start to last season as well. They tapered off, but they were tremendous at the start of the season. Great start. So maybe if they dial back that amazing start and can just get consistency. Same with Eddie Howe and Bournemouth. I feel like it's a, it's almost the time for Eddie Howe to prove why he's so highly rated. I think that they've really struggled for consistency the last couple of years. They've fallen away at times. They've got some really good attackers. They've I think recruited quite well from the lower leagues of England. Now they've got some players that will step in there and probably put themselves in the yeah. shop window, but they need to get back to playing some good football and being consistent. And they're a team that now has been together for a while and have got some great combinations too with some great young talent. So if anyone should be knocking on the door, it's probably Bournemouth and Burnley get the chance. If you talk about setting a low bar, they went from seventh to really struggling last year. This is uh, Sean Dyche's chance to show what he can do, reinventing them as well. You guys follow the championship closely. Are we going to get any miracles from any of the three teams that have come up? Villa, Sheffield United, Norwich. Obviously, Villa. Well, the word out of them is that we know we're not going to do a Fulham. They know they've spent a truckload of money, over £100 million, for I think it amounts to 64 games of Premier League experience. Um, from what you guys watched of those three teams, are they going to join this pack or are they... Are they, you know, they they fighting like last year's teams? The amazing thing is, there's actually an argument to make for all three of these clubs that they could have a really good season, and there's an argument to say that they could go straight back down, because all three of the managers you would say are quite progressive in the way they view their football. Uh, they'll encourage good football. They won't do a Neil Warnock and just park the bus and and hoof it long. They believe in playing football. Yet for that. There's a little bit of naive, naivety mm. in there as well. Daniel Farker, and you've got to be really careful on how you say his name. How, do, how does it go again? Daniel Farker. <laughs> Is that what you called him when they beat Leeds? <laughs> Constantly <laughs> last season I, I was calling him that. Um, I think it's his name. But, you know, they, they haven't signed anyone really. They haven't spent any money in Norwich. And they, they were very, very good in the championship last year. And they had players that, you know, young players that looked like they were on an upward trajectory that they deserve to be in the Premier League. But do they have enough new cavalry to come in? And if they don't start well, does that play on their minds? You know, the Premier League's an awful league if you don't start particularly well. Sheffield United have recruited pretty well, I think. Like, Ollie McBurney is a really good signing. But they're signings that have come from lower league football as well. They're not proven Premier League players. Chris Wilder, very highly rated. He's got the biggest mouth in football. So if he doesn't start particularly well, i will love to see how he reacts to that. And as for Aston Villa... Is it going to work, Bridgie? How much money have they spent? Look what Fulham did last season. Fulham went out and spent over $100 million. I was very excited at the start of the season where they were going to go with this, and it just fell apart. So, smart business by Norwich. They haven't gone out and brought the bank. They're going to be quite happy just sitting and keeping that money in their, their pockets to see what happens this season. Sheffield United, um, I'm going to say, are gone. Simple as that. When you're buying, when you're getting Yagiel, um, Yagielka back as a as a bit of a tote and gesture, going to Premier League, um, it's it's a nice fantasy. It's nice for the fans to see a guy come back. He's not going to keep you in that division. Um, and Villa have gone out and spent that money, and they've spent it hard. And I, I hope it works for them because it's great to see them back. Um, and I, I, I'm, I think they can survive. So more purposeful than Fulham? Say Fulham went and they went on a fantasy shopping spree, but then you looked and went, well, how does that actually fit what they're trying to do? Is this a little bit more? 
strategic? Well, the difference is that Fulham had Yukanovic uh, there for a while and he had a system and he had players that fitted the system. So for them to go out and sign an 11 and 12 players, it was illogical based on how they got themselves up. Whereas Dean Smith came in with only about 15 games left in the season. He took over a squad with a lot of lone players. wasn't necessarily his squad. So I think it's probably more him stamping his authority. And if the board are saying, hey, here's $250 million to spend, you kind of have to do that. He's converted loan signings into permanent too, which are always uh, important. El Lagazi and also Tyrone Mings. Don't think Tyrone Mings is worth what they paid. And that's the other issue. Have Villa been taken to the cleaners mm. by clubs that just see them rocking up with big bags of money? And hence, what's their long-term strategy? I, I think if they get through the first season, you can make the argument for Fulham last year. If they get through the first year up, they'll be there for a while because of the way they've spent and the quality I've spent it on. Also, Jack Grealish, I mean, he will spend more yeah. time on the floor than he <laughs> will with the football at his feet, but he is a very good he's player. A, he's, a, he's a talisman. He's a talented player, and I'm looking forward to seeing him because I'm pleased he's back in the Premier League. Tottenham Hotspur tried to get him. I think he would have been back one way or another had Villa not gone up because yeah, he's such a talent. Um, as for Dean Smith, the, the manager, you know, in the championship at, at Brentford, fantastic football. I like the style he was playing there. He's taking them a new level. To go into Aston Villa in a job and do the same thing and get a 57% win record there in your time, that is magnificent. So I've got I've got big wraps on him. That's why I think they will survive this season uh, and stay up. And the team that I feel will go down along with Sheffield United, I'm going to say Brighton. I think they're in a, in a, in a massive, massive world of, world of pain at this moment. Jules Breach, who obviously does a bit for us with Optus, will be devastated that I have said that. Um, and Matty Ryan, of course. And Matty Ryan, he will still be in the Premier League, don't worry. He'll be at a big club in Europe whether they go down or not. Um, but yeah, Brighton's my other one. They have signed a little bit. They've got Leandro Trossard and Adam Webster in as well. For for them, quite big money. But you just think uh, for them, Glenn Murray's not getting any younger as well. So where are their goals going to come from? Well, new manager too in Graham Potter, who's come it's from... Interesting story. Really interesting story coming over from the continent. Did a good job uh, with a tough squad at Swansea last year. They, they could have gone down yeah. last year. They had a massive fire sale and he managed to do a good job. So it's a complete change in philosophy because they've always had Chris Hutton at Brighton. They've always been a club that's just been trying to stay in the league, which is why I think Newcastle United will struggle. Yeah, they're a bit of a parody and yeah, they've got Steve Bruce in. I think they've admitted to themselves, we just want to stay in the league. And as soon as you do that, you're almost stealing yourself for the relegation fight rather than looking higher. So maybe Brighton in being a little bit more forward-thinking with getting a manager, with spending some money, maybe they're looking upwards, maybe they have the confidence to, to move up rather than down. Steve Bruce, Bridgie, close to your heart. Yes, um, from the northeast, Is he the man when you've got somebody like Rafa Benitez that knows football inside out around the world? Um had a game plan, had a strategy. I've never worked with Steve Bruce, played against him many times. Never worked with him. Um, he's got Steve Agnew there, who was actually um, one of... I was actually an apprentice under him at Sunderland and found his teeth on the training park. Actually, actually there was a... He lost his fake what? teeth on the training park. Yeah, how old was he at the time? Uh, I, I don't know, but I was, I was 16 and a half, and he said, lads, get on the field. I've lost my teeth. And it was so funny because his two front teeth were gone on his palate. <laughs> and he said, there's £100 here. Now, when you're on £40 a week... And there's a hundred pound for offer. I went and found them teeth as quick as you can, and I was the one that got them. So I pull your own out. <laughs> <laughs> I did. If you have a look at him, he just he looks very goofy. Does I guess? But he's there with Steve Bruce. His knowledge and background has been with Middlesbrough. He had him at Sheffield Wednesday with him. I can't see. This is a recipe for disaster in my eyes. Um, I, I don't like it, and the fans don't like it. They're trying to boycott this first game. 
um, against Arsenal and try to have no fans in the stadium just to prove a point to Mike Ashley and say get out. Having said that, they have spent a bit of money this year, finally. I don't know whether Ashley has allowed that. I like the signing they had late on last year, Almiron. He gave Newcastle a new lease of life. Rondon, a new lease of life as a number nine. He's gone. Gone to China with gone to Rafa. China with Rafa. So from, there is big, big problems at Newcastle United. Steve Bruce has got big, big problems. I would suggest that Solskjaer is the favourites to get sacked. In my eyes, it's Steve Bruce. Yeah, I think everything that happens around the football at Newcastle will ultimately determine how successful they are. The football itself, as I said, I feel like despite spending some money, I think in getting Steve Bruce in, they've almost gone, right, well, we're going to be at the bottom or they're thereabouts to the bottom. But I think it's how you know the fans react to a bad start potentially or really negative days or even if they turn up at all, like you say, with some discussion yeah. they might not be there. Ex-Sunderland manager as well, Steve mm. Bruce that's, as well. That's it's, huge. You're on a hiding and nothing already with the fans. And when you have a look at the... Re- the results and the records that he has under the clubs that he's been at. As a Newcastle United fan and a Rafa, going from the championship back, having a guy that stayed there through thick and thin with the history that he has got, to getting a guy in Steve Bruce, it's it's a, it's a nightmare for the Newcastle fans. Very, very dangerous times indeed. Whether they st- they'll be on the precipice, you would think. Um, Sheffield United at Crystal Palace... Holding on to Wilfred Zaha would be a huge boon for them, but obviously Aaron Wan-Bissaka is gone, and he was massive for them last year. Roy Hodgson's done a really good job there, but they look a little light on too. So who are the three that go down at this point? Sheffield United, there's always one team that's massively up against it when they come up, but you'd probably say that they're it this time. Um, who are the other two that you guys are, are penciling in early doors? Well, just quickly on Crystal Palace, I think if they can go out and get Fedor Shalov, who they're linked with, striker from Siska Moscow, he, he's a great young player. I think he's going to be um, you know, one of Russia's really important players the next 10 or 15 years. It depends on almost what they do between now and the window ending as well. They're linked with uh, Ollie Watkins, and they need to hold on to Zahar. If they lose Zahar and if they don't strengthen, oh. I think they're probably looking at uh, a relegation fight. Personally, I think... Sheffield United will go straight back down. I think one of either Bournemouth, Watford, or Burnley will go down. Because Watford? Wow. One of those three. I, Watford are in a good position to stay up, but I think that, as I spoke about, that lack of consistency, one of them are going to pay for it if they can't be consistent across the season. I think Burnley are probably a little bit more likely. And it's out of Newcastle and Southampton for me. Wow. Some huge predictions there, Paul. Well, no, I get them wrong no, every year anyway. Well, last, so last year, the last, I think the last two years, you just basically were an absolute snow festament. The three that come up are going to go back down. Well, that happened two years ago, didn't it? Yeah, but, it did. <laughs> yeah. No, this, this time I think, um, as always, it's very competitive across the board, isn't it? You can make a case for so many of them. So are you going to say three or are you just going to go for anybody in that then, bottom eight there? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll say Sheffield United. Thank you. Burnley. Yep. And Southampton. Southampton. Yep. Wow. Right, Dave, I'm going to give you mine. Sheffield United, Brighton, and Norwich. That's quite a smart call as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, with, if, and if Newcastle aren't in that, they'll be just ahead of them. Um, and Brighton are an interesting time as well. But I, I don't know. I think, I think they, might, uh, they might be interesting to watch this year. So we'll see. So look, who is under the most pressure as we wrap up? Some fire, fire sour questions. Who is under the most pressure in the competition this season? Manchester United, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I think. 
uh, like Bridget said, favourite for a lot of people to, to lose his gig. You know, him and Frank Lampard are in a really similar situation because once they get sacked, if they get sacked, they, you know, they might stay there for a long time, yeah. but whenever they get sacked from clubs that absolutely love them, how much more damage does that do for a fan base that might already be a little bit unhappy? So there's a lot of pressure on Solskjaer to, you know, live up to his reputation as a, as a club great, great goal scorer. He had a great impact there last season. What can he do this season? I'm going to say there's a lot of pressure on Unai Emery this season. I, I believe that the, he is under immense pressure um, because the what, what Arsenal do demand, but I just feel that they have not recruited in the right areas, and I can see them really, really stumbling. I'm just saying, I'm not just saying that as a as a as a Spurs fan. I'm putting my my professional pundit hat on. I believe that he is in. He, he could be in a bit of trouble this yeah. year. Well, he's lost his excuses. The whole his first season yes. had to rebuild Wenger's squad. He's he's had the time to play now, so that that'll be very interesting. And the biggest surprise: who's gonna who's gonna who's gonna make us look like fools from this podcast in in nine months' time? Oh. It's a tough one. It's a really difficult one because as much as you'd like to say that Everton going to win the league or Wolves are going to win the Europa League or something like that, ultimately the big six is the big six for a reason because there is a gap between them and the next ones. But you know, I don't know how big of a shock it would be, but I think the big six will be breached by somebody. I think one of the big clubs will slip to the point where it gives an opportunity. And is it a shock if Everton finish fifth or sixth? I'm not so sure, but you know, I think something like that will happen. It's a massive turn up if they do. Well, who are you most looking forward to? Is there a player that you can't wait to see trot out this season? Oh, good question. That is a good question. Um, Rich, can I throw that one to you a minute while I just have a little bit of a... Yeah, I think Nicolas Pepe will be an interesting one. I mean, he, didn't he say at one point that he wanted to join Chelsea? <laughs> he would something? only go to the... <laughs> That's a classic. <laughs> to go to that is a classic. <laughs> That's why footballers should never say yeah. anything, basically. Um, and Bridges is a living testament to that every week. But I think Nicolas Pepe at Arsenal will be a, an interesting one. Uh, and and Dombele as well at Tottenham. What kind of impact can he have in a midfield that, you know, it was found out at, at times. And, you know, they've strengthened there over the past few years. But it's very hard to know what their best combination is. Is it Harry Winks? Uh, you know, where's Wanyama fit into this? I mean, you know, hopefully he'll come in and give some stability to Spurs as well. So looking forward to seeing what their only signing of the decade will do. And I'm going to throw one out there. I haven't, haven't had a look at some of the signs. The fullback position for me has... It, it, it's a great position. You've got the Robertsons, you've got the Alexander Arnolds. They play a massive part in games. You know, Tottenham had it with Trippier. He's no longer there. Kyle Walker... Um, Oh, who's the, who's the lunatic at Man City? That Zinchenko? Being injured. No, not Zinchenko. The other one. Mendy. 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 Love <laughs> this guy. Just absolutely love him. So the one I'm really looking forward to this season is Wan-Bissaka. Sign him from Crystal Palace into the United team. Uh, I, I'm a, I just love him. I like the way he plays the game. Um, he's a raw talent. How, is Solskjaer going to put the, the reins on him and try and restrict him a little bit? Or is he going to let him bomb forward and do what he does best? So I'm really looking forward. That's coming from a striker. I'm looking forward to seeing how a fullback does at United. I'm saying he's going to be one of the standouts this season. That's why he's in my fantasy league team. As I said earlier, Mason Mount at Chelsea, because I want to see how these lone players actually come back and perform. Um, and a player we saw in the Europa League last year, Wesley, with Club Bruges, he's one of the sort of the the exotic signings that have come in for Aston Villa. Um, so interesting to see how a continental player picked up from watching the Europa League comes across in sort of one of these lavish spending sprees and whether he can be someone they can build a team around at Villa Park. All right, it's prediction time. It's the headline. I love a headline because it's bread and butter. What is the headline going to be this season? Written by Richard Bayless and Richard written by Michael Bridges. Oh, come on, Dave. I haven't had time to think about it. Uh, 
it, it will be it will be City imperious. And now whether that's they go and win four trophies, I mean they've already won one. <laughs> let's let's call it a half a trophy, the Community Shield. Is it them being imperious in Europe finally, or is it them just winning everything, dominating in England? I think so much of everyone else's success comes down to how much City want all of it. I can give you the predictions and the headlines at the end of the season <laughs> that you'll be writing. Bridges bollocks yet again on the predictions. It's, Bridges um, bollocks by Bayless. Correct. It's um, I hate looking back on them. It, it's quite funny to have, it, to have a look back at the end of the year. But this season, what, what could it be? I'm going to say oh, City Superior yet again. Is that boring? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. What was yours again? Oh, mine was exactly the same. So that shows how much I was listening. <laughs> yeah. It's hard, you know. It's hard. Um, I, I reckon. I reckon Guardiola will leave at the end of this season. How about that? I'll predict that. I think Guardiola will go, regardless of whether they win in Europe or not. I think that he will get to a point. Whether it's, you know, does Sari not work at Juventus and they get him over there? So I'm let's, not too sure. Let's just put this in. So he could leave, right? After doing that, Pochettino could possibly go from Spurs. Yeah. All right. Um, there's going to be a few seconds. So my headlines is going to be. Here's one for you. At the end of the year, I think there's going to be the most amount of managers sacked in the Premier League this season than we've ever seen before. Okay, I was actually or, or leaving. What okay, I'm saying yeah, is I was going to. I thought the end of the season. Yeah. How many? How many tran? How many turnovers has yeah, there been? I think the or, record is like nine or ten. Yeah, there's been a few. Two years. I remember two, two seasons ago, ago yeah. there was a period where when Frank De Boer and a couple of others went within min- within weeks of each well, other. I think Swansea had about um, five and five weeks, didn't they? Yeah, mm. but. Sackings or top six dominoes, like you know, if Solskjaer goes, Pochettino could look at could look at Manchester United. What happens with Lampard? That could be quite interesting Turn too. Over, so. There you go. I'm going for the most managerials transitions. transitions. Well, guys, the time for talk is over because Saturday morning here, a very nice kickoff time of 5am on Saturday the 10th of August, Liverpool host Norwich to get us all underway. You'd have to say the headline fixture this weekend is Manchester United against Chelsea on Monday morning, the wee hours, 1.30am. But the beauty is, Rich, you can watch it live, you can watch it on demand, you can watch it on mini-match, you can watch it on replay, you can watch all of them. You can now read about it, you can listen to our podcast. Really, you can do whatever you want and if you've got time to work and live, good luck to you because there's too much football to consume absolutely we've got some new shows this season as well a lot more material coming through on the Optus Sport app it's never ending essentially but it'll be impossible not to completely immerse yourself in Premier League football and every now and then you might get some idiot writing about the championship as well now we've got written articles up as well Dave because we talk about this season starting it's already started I read one the other day that you did mate it was a good read but it was did you have a box of tissues next to you? Because you sounded so... Yeah, I didn't actually hear your voice, but it was a very, very depressing article. <laughs> That's been me for the last two decades. I was very glad to be able to play, allow Rich to spend a few few minutes on the psychologist's couch to get that 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 script out of the way. Well, gents, thanks for your time today. Uh, Bridgie, happy birthday. We should add. Thank you very much. Great way to spend it. I couldn't think of a better way to spend a day, Rich. <coughs> mm. <laughs> How do you celebrate a 48th? Um, you come on here, you talk absolute crap on a radio, on a on a radio, on a podcast with you guys, um, and then I am going to go home, I'm going to have a nice meal with the family, and I'm going to have a few drinks. Mm, and I'm just actually going to tell the wife that, um, listen, I'm 41, Rich, by the way, <laughs> I'm going to say it's been nice seeing you for the last two months in the off-season, the Premier League is back, the Champions League is back, the qualifiers, you've just named them all, I'm just going to say, I'll see you in 10 months' time, darling. <laughs> 
Well, as we said when we walked in for the first day of this season after a little Women's World Cup siesta, well, this season ends at the end of the Euros, so a monster season coming up. We hope you've enjoyed our preview, and as ever, until the next podcast on Optus Sport, enjoy your football.